This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings listeners and welcome to Radio Astronomy's Guide to the Best Things to See in the Night Sky in February 2022. I'm Ezzie Pearson and I'm joined on the podcast today by Reviews Editor Paul Money, who's going to be telling us the best sights to see in the Northern Hemisphere this month. So Paul, what are your recommendations for February 2022? Well, we get off with an early morning session, I'm afraid. I know it means getting up, either set your alarm or you may be an early riser. In that case, you're actually ideally suited for this. But in the morning, right at the beginning of February, say for the first week or so, try to catch Mercury. It's not its best apparition, it has to be said, because it's a very low apparition. But it's not impossible to get. And the beauty is we've got the guide of Venus, because Venus is now... If you remember, for months, we seemed to be going on about Venus in the evening sky and it was lingering and lingering. Well, it's finally in the morning sky making a presence uh, felt. So Venus is a really good guide to Mercury. But there's not just Venus there in the morning sky in the bright twilight. There's Mars as well. So at the moment, we've got a trio of planets to look out for. You want to be looking about 7 a.m., so not too long before sunrise, because sunrise, of course, is gradually uh, changing as we get into February sort of thing, and it'll be uh, rising sort of earlier and earlier. So, uh, oh, the nights are getting shorter. That's terrible for us astronomers, you know. But uh, so, you know, so but Mercury, it's not particularly well-placed, but Venus will give you a guide because they form a triangle. So you've got sort of like Mars and Mercury, the lower parts of the triangle, and Venus is the apex. It's not an isosceles triangle. It's not even a right-angle triangle. But at least it gives you an idea. If you can see Venus, you can see Mars, then there's a good chance to their left you might pick out Mercury as well. So, uh, you know, that's a, a good start to the actual year. Venus and Mars are moving against the background stars, of course, as well. And uh, as the month progresses, as we head towards mid-month, they will get into conjunction. And actually, um, if it's dark enough, you might just spot the teaspoon asterism of Sagittarius between the two as well. So there'll be Venus one side and Mars the other. So that's in the morning sky. Now, if you don't like getting up... (laughs) <laughs> and I must say, I'm not the best one at getting up after so I like usually sm- <laughs> I usually smash the alarm sort of thing and turn it off and then go back to sleep. But we're back in the evening sky again. And but we're still in the twilight. 
So it's the evening twilight. And again, for a long time, we were talking about Jupiter and Saturn. We've lost Saturn. It's not going to be visible this month. But Jupiter will be visible for the first couple of weeks in the evening twilight. It is dropping rapidly, though, into the bright twilight now. And so really by mid-month, I mean, you'll be lucky if you see it into the third week of February. But uh, Jupiter is there now to be caught. This is your last chance in the evening sky for quite a few months uh, because it will return then into the morning sky just like Venus did. So they're in Aquarius, Venus, uh, sorry, Jupiter. And Jupiter is in Aquarius and so is Neptune, but Neptune's a bit further on. But on the second to the third, you can look for the crescent moon. Now, the crescent moon on the second is directly below Jupiter. So you've got to catch it because it will set quicker than Jupiter. So if you spot Jupiter early on, you should be able to see the crescent moon directly below it. That's on the 2nd of February. Look about 6pm. That's about the ideal time. And you want to be looking roughly southwest, west-southwest in that general direction. Once you've got the moon, once you've got Jupiter, it'll be a lot easier. Now, the next night on the 3rd, or I should say the evening, the crescent moon itself is below Neptune. Now, it's several degrees below Neptune, but uh, it gives you a guide to where Neptune is sort of thing. So you can go up from there with binoculars and you should be able to pick out Neptune, which, of course, is classed as the last planet now in the solar system, last official planet, until they discover another one. <laughs> they might just discover. <laughs> no, my look, by the time this comes out, they'll have discovered another one. That's my sort of look. But the beauty about uh, the moon, the crescent moon will be lingering right next to Psi 1, 2 and 3 Aquarii. And that's a nice little curve of stars sort of thing. So that'll be quite a pretty pattern, I reckon, in binoculars. And even small wide-angle view telescopes sort of give you a nice rich field view. You should better see these three stars lingering next to the crescent moon as well. And I always like those little, like, the extras, because often we see the moon and it's so bright, it drowns out the stars around it. But when it's a crescent moon, you actually get, there isn't as much moonlight to drown out the sky. So you've still got a reasonably dark sky. And so that's why about six o'clock-ish, the sky getting dark enough sort of thing to actually see some stars. So yeah, I was like them when there's a reasonable group of stars next to the moon as well. Often we talk about a conjunction with one star, but as I say, you've got three stars quite close forming this little triangle and then the moon with it as well. So uh, that's on the third site, one, two, and three Aquaria as such. Now, we mentioned Neptune. As it happens on February the 3rd, Neptune is also quite close to a sixth magnitude star. Now, Neptune's around about 7.8 magnitude. It's a lot fainter. So, the, so you'll actually see the star brighter. So the key is, though, so you can use the star to find Neptune. So if you use the star chart, you should be able to find this star, which is actually known as Hipparchus 115953. They love these romantic names, don't they, sort of thing? Absolutely, Absolutely. wonderful names. Absolutely. Yes, they are very, very technical. But as I say, Neptune is classed as a blue planet, much like the Earth. It's because of the uh, atmospheric gases that make it look blue. I always find it looks blue in a telescope. Binoculars, I'm not so sure. I'm, I, you'd have to have large binoculars to, to pick out a bluish tint, I have to say. But a telescope, I definitely see a bluish uh, hint, a hue there. So the thing is, it's close. It's nice when the planets are close to a star that is brighter than the planet because it guides you to it. It allows you to definitely spot. So uh, this is a good way of spotting Neptune. So on the third, Neptune's close to this sixth magnitude star uh, over in Aquarius. So we'll look out for that as well. Now, February, it, we tend to follow the moon a lot. 
And we don't often mention comets because, you know, most comets don't get that bright, do they, sort of thing. You know, we're, you know, we're always on the hunt for the really bright comet that's going to be the showstopper for the year, sort of thing. We keep our fingers crossed, don't we? But there is an eighth magnitude comet, Comet 19P Borelli. That's in the night sky, and it's in Pisces. So eighth magnitude, it, it's... <laughs> literally the classic fuzzy blob. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's one of those things I think you might be needing large binoculars uh, and a small telescope. But again, we've got something to guide us to it this time because on the 6th, we've actually got the crescent, the thick crescent moon now. Now, there will be more moonlight, but hopefully it will, because the moon is just to the left of the comet, you'll be able to spot it. And what helps as well is an actual fact Omicron Piscium is directly above forming the apex of a triangle with the comet and the moon. So you've got a good way of finding this comet. It may not be spectacular, but if you've never seen a comet before, then, you know, this and a faint comet as such, this is eighth magnitude. So it gives you a chance to actually spot it. I say, I, I love it when the moon and even a star actually guides you to an interesting object that you probably wouldn't normally bother with. You know, so they are try to get Comet Borelli on the six. I'm looking at about seven o'clock in the evening. So there's a sky. Get the let the sky get reasonably dark, but bear in mind the moonlight will actually sort of like be a bit bright for the comet itself. But it shouldn't make it impossible. I've seen objects similar to brightness to that next to the moon. So uh, we've often seen clusters when there's been an occultation of a cluster uh, take place. So that's worth having a look at. I think yeah, it, it, it's definitely one of those. If you've never seen a comet before, as you said, it's probably not the, the most perfect set of circumstances. But, you know, if you thought it, it should be on most astronomers' bucket lists to see a, a comet. So definitely one to keep an eye out for. And not wait for the real showstoppers, because we always exactly. seem to have a very long wait for them. Um, but uh, there's, there are a lot of comets about that tend to be missed, because we always tend to go for the uh, the bright ones. But the dedicated amateurs out there actually are always hunting these fainter comets as such. And I have to say, producing some stunning pictures of them. Well, I'm I'm not jealous, really, as you. I'm not really jealous. Honest, honest. I'm not honestly jealous. But uh, yeah, but yeah, Borelli, I, I, I might even have a go trying to image it and see what the moonlight affects it, even if it's just a little blob you know it, I, to capture it would be quite something yeah i think it'd be an interesting experiment as well see what you can get even with the moon there we should always experiment you should you should never be put off by say uh the bright moon next to a, a fainter object because it's surprising what you can do especially with the sort of, i wouldn't say manipulation i have seen where people have taken a picture and then plonked the moon in, a, in the view and you think no that's not quite accurate and you can always tell <laughs> you can unfortunately but the point is there are ways of manipulating the data photographing the object sort of thing so that you you over enhance the moon to bring out the comet and then you merge a better picture of the moon with it so there are ways of trying what you're trying to do is reproduce the view you see sort of thing so you know it's it's a clever bit of processing but uh, say what you don't want to do is take a picture of the comet on another night when the moon's nowhere near and then photograph the moon and then superimpose them and say oh look this is what i saw now if you i always think if you're honest and say look this is a simulation of what i saw i don't mind those it's when you actually make it out, this is the picture I took, and you think, no, no, not with a bright moon like that, right next to that such a faint comet or such. But worth having a go, I think. 
Now, the next evening, as it happens, again, the moon guides us to another planet. And of course, this is the planet Uranus. Now, Uranus is up in Aries now. So uh, it's almost the moon. He's almost a half phase. It's, the, it's, it's that first quarter, the next night. But that doesn't do any good for us to find Uranus because it had moved on. So this is the seventh of February. And uh, what we find is actually Uranus itself is not too far from the star 29 Arietus. So again, you've got a star and the moon to help guide you to Uranus. So the thing about this is that the star itself is about magnitude 5.6. So very similar to the actual uh, planet as well. So uh, worth having a look at. And they all fit nicely in the field of your 10 by 50 binoculars. So again, look about seven o'clock, find the moon. I mean, if you can't find the moon, it must be cloudy. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're really struggling to find the moon, then it's obviously not worth going out and looking for something fainter. Either that or you've got your phases wrong. <laughs> oh, yes, exactly. Yes, you're looking at the wrong phase. You've got your date wrong. Um, so, yeah, looking with a pair of binoculars, 10 by 50s, about 7 o'clock for the moon. You use that as a guide. Uranus should be directly above it. And then sort of like the, the star itself, 29 Arietus, will actually be to the upper right of Uranus. There is another star to the left of the moon. That is 31 Arietus. So uh, that you, you can spot that in the binoculars as well. So uh, there we are. So, so you'll have deep sky, as in the stars, and you've actually got two solar system objects as well, the moon and the planet Uranus. And again, Uranus in a telescope does look greenish to me, definitely. Um, I'm still not sure about binoculars. I just You need a lot of light to activate the colour cones in your eye, you know, that gives you the colour vision sort of thing. So uh, I think telescopes give you the colour better than, say, binoculars, unless you're using large binoculars itself. Okay, let's move on a couple of days. The moon keeps moving on. I mean, we all know the moon goes around the Earth sort of thing and it takes effectively a month. It's where we get month from and that's the moon as such. But the point is, a couple of days later, the moon is in a nice position. It's the other side now of first quarter. It's a day after first quarter sort of thing. But it lies directly between the Pleiades and Aldebaran and the Hyades cluster. We've got to remember the Hyades cluster. Aldebaran looks as if it's part of it, and it isn't. It's, it's actually half the distance. So it's a, an interloper, really, sort of thing. It's not a true member of the cluster of the Hyades. So the moon's there between the two. So I, I love these interactions, sort of thing, when you get them directly in a line between the two. And again, you want to be looking around about seven o'clock for this. And this is naked eye. You'll be able to see them naked eye. Now, the moonlight will sort of drown out some of the fainter stars, but you should make out just the brighter stars of the Pleiades and definitely of the Hyades and Aldebaran as well. And of course, Aldebaran is the red eye of the bull, sort of thing. Although I think it always looks a bit orange to me, <laughs> sort of rather than deep red as such. So look about south. It's quite high up. So that's a nice advantage for once. You're not looking down towards the horizon. You're looking quite high up. So the sky will be clearer better clarity. You won't have the horizon mugginess sort of thing, you know, the haze uh, that you get at the horizon itself. So about seven o'clock, and you should see that the moon between the Pleiades and the Hyades and Aldebaran itself. Okay, as we move on, we get into Gemini with the moon. And I, again, I like it when it's close to stars. On the actual 12th, it's close to Epsilon Geminorum sort of thing. It's quite close in actual fact, sort of thing. It's it's a bit more than the width of the moon. The moon's about half a degree, so it's just slightly more than a half a degree away from the uh, the edge of the disk of the moon to the actual star itself. But again, if you if you never really paid any attention to Epsilon Geminorum, 
Now's your chance. You'll, you'll easily find it because it's the only bright star right next to the moon uh, at that particular time. Now, the next evening, and again, look about seven o'clock-ish sort of thing, fairly high up. The next evening, the moon in actual fact is above. Well, it sort of forms a triangle, actually, with the sort of like, uh, I think it's New Geminorum and Kappa Geminorum. And the thing about Kappa Geminorum, it's a slightly orangey star, so it's actually nice to look at. But uh, the moon itself, you'll also have to the left of those, Castor and Pollux, the two bright stars. They'll dominate. So it actually, naked eye, you'll generally see the moon and then you'll see to the left and above it sort of thing, the two vertical lines of the two stars, Castor and Pollux sort of thing. They are the main twins. They are the twins that mark out Gemini itself. But uh, there we are. The moon will actually be quite close to them uh, and sort of really show up well next to Kappa Geminorum because it will be the star below it. Because again, it's a good way of identifying some of the stars when the moon's next to it if you've never really traced out the pattern before. Now, we mentioned earlier sort of thing, back to the morning sky, that Venus and Mars are in conjunction sort of thing. So you've got to bear that. This is the February the 13th now sort of thing. So um, we've had the uh, two uh, stars of Castor and Pollock sort of thing with the moon next to them on the evening of the 13th. On the morning of the 13th is when Venus and Mars are in conjunction. When we say conjunction, we, 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 this is a proper conjunction in that they share the same right ascension coordinates or within sort of a matter of a, a, a minute or so of position. So uh, to all intents and purposes, they just look close together in the sky. But they're a nice photographic opportunity and well worth having a go at. Now, we're heading towards full moon, which this time occurs quite close to Regulus in Leo on the 16th. Now, full moon, if you like the full moon, you know, you can watch the, 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 the ray patterns on the moon sort of thing. So if the moon is your thing, this is the time to get the ray patterns. You don't get the craters, do you, quite as well delineated? Mm, no, those you really need to have the shadows. Yeah, you, you need the shadow. You need the terminator quite close for that. But some of the craters show up quite bright sort of thing. Aristarchus is quite a bright crater and Copernicus is a bright crater as well. And then I say you've got the, you've got the difference between the mare and the actual uh, highlands as well, the dark to the bright, and then you've got the ray patterns as well. So there is something to do with full moon. It's just that it spoils the view of the rest of the sky, the, you know, the deep sky. And if any of our listeners are thinking they'd like to have a go at finding out what the can you can see during the full moon, uh, we have lots of uh, guides about what you can see on our website, www.skyatnightmagazine.com, um, where we talk you through, you know, how to, to look at rays and things like that. And of course, the magazine often features a particular feature of the moon uh, each month as well, sort of thing, as a highlight. Sort of, so uh, a great way of getting to know our nearest neighbour, if that's your thing. Now, the moon itself, I say, will now then be in the morning sky because once you get past full moon, it rises later and later into the night. So we're getting into the morning sky now. So we're switching back to, say, 1 a.m. in the morning. And in that case, you'll actually find the moon on the 20th quite close to uh, Gamma Virginis. Now, Gamma Virginis is a really nice double star. It's one of those that has a long period when it's really difficult to separate the two components. But the good news is they've been widening out, separating out, so now they're quite easy to separate. So if you've never looked at a, a wide double star, have a go with Gamma Virginis. You need a telescope to home in on it, but it's well worth having a look at sort of thing. And the moon is next to it, so it identifies the stars. So it's quite close to it. It's to the lower left, in fact, 
of gamma. Gamma is called porimer, by the way, sort of thing. I always think of porridge myself. I don't know why, sort of thing. Um, perhaps perhaps we're doing this too close to lunchtime when we record this, you know, we're getting hungry. That's what it is. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but it's a, it is a lovely double star. And they're both quite white stars, very similar, evenly matched brightness as well. It's almost like two headlights looking at you when you look at a high magnification with a telescope. So that's on the 20th. The next night, in actual fact, or I should say the next morning, uh, the moon's moved away, of course, and now it's a bit further away from this star, but it's Alpha Virginis, it's Spica, or Spicer. Depends on how people, I mean, the pronunciation is a weird thing, because there's nobody alive from the era when these were named for us to actually hear what they actually said. So it's one of those things. So Spiker, Spiker, Speaker, I've heard it's spelled, uh, pronounced Speaker as well. But it's Alpha Virginis and it's the brightest star actually in Virgo and the moon is to the upper left of it uh, on the uh, 21st in this particular case. But again, you want to be looking about 1am onwards. So, you know, either have a late night <laughs> set your alarm again, sort of thing. I think I'd stay up rather than uh, trying to get up myself. Now, because it's in the morning sky, it's going to gradually move through the constellations. It doesn't have a particularly close encounter with Alpha Libra. We had that in January. Um, Alpha Libra, Zuben El Ganubi, sort of thing, which is another nice wide double star. But on the 24th, we have an interesting, we have an occultation. And it's actually a relatively famous star. It's Rho Ophiuchi because there's a bright nebulosity around it, the Rho Ophiuchi complex. Now, this is all above Antares in Scorpius. And uh, it's one of those things that Ophiuchus really should be the 13th constellation, shouldn't it, of the zodiac? Because it actually takes up more space than Scorpius does actually on the zodiacal line. But Antares is close by. The moon will be above Antares. And in fact, it's a day past last quarter. Everything's happening a day past or before the actual the phase that we normally deal with, the quarter phase or the last quarter phase in this case. So this is the 24th. And as the moon rises sort of thing, what you'll find is that it will actually begin to occult Rho Ophiuchi. So watch that for an hour as the moon occults it. Now, the, the star will reappear from behind the dark limb, and I always find those quite amazing because they, they're quite fast. It's, it's instantaneous sort of thing when it actually reappears because, you know, you've got to be careful on the dark limb because you can't see any features on the dark limb, can you? So you, you, don't, you can't work out exactly sort of thing. So you watch the limb and suddenly the star will appear. And I always think they're quite... Well, it feels miraculous, the sudden appearance of the star, and yet you know it's going to happen. Yeah, it's funny, you know it's going to happen, and yet it still catches you unawares when it suddenly reappears from behind the lunar limb. And at the same time, as they do so, we're, again, we're looking around about four to five o'clock in the morning sort of thing. By the time you get to five o'clock, Antares is rid as well, and this is the red heart of the scorpion itself. So uh, it's a shame Mars isn't in this particular part of the sky at the moment. It's further over in uh, Sagittarius. But because uh, Mars is, of course, often classed as the rival uh, of Antares and Antares the rival of Mars. So there we are. So that's on the 24th. We're getting towards the end now because the, the, we've got another interesting example with Mars and Venus. We're back to Mars and Venus in the morning sky. We're looking about six o'clock. So no longer 7am because it's getting lighter and lighter. So it's now six o'clock in the morning. And look for Mars and Venus. And they, they look the same as they did when they're in conjunction. They're a little bit further apart. What I want to do, though, 
is look a third of the way from Mars up to Venus on the 26th because the minor planet Vesta is emerging out of the solar glare and it should now be visible. It's magnitude 7.6, so it's a binocular object. So you should be able to see it. So this is picking out another minor planet as such and using Mars and Venus as a guide to it. So about a third of the way from Mars up towards Venus, you should see this faint little dot, and that faint little dot will be a minor planet. Look towards the southeast, about 6 a.m. for the two planets, and then see with binoculars if you can actually spot this minor planet Vesta sort of thing. So there we are. And of course, Vesta is one of those that's been visited by a spacecraft, so we know what the features look like on it. I always like to imagine um, the, the actual, although it looks like a dot of light, and in all amateur telescopes, it's just a dot of light is Vesta. It's so tiny. And most professional ones as well. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. I think there was only Hubble that started to resolve it as any sort of features on it. But, uh, you know, it'd be interesting if they turn the James Webb telescope on it. I think they might in actual fact because they're looking at it in the infrared and seeing the heat coming off from it. That'll be interesting. Not for a fair old while, but yeah. Yeah, I like to imagine the pictures. And when I look at that dot, I remember the pictures of Vesta and think, wow, that, that's a world in its own right, really, in that respect. Now, the next morning, the thick crescent moon lies below Mars. Now, this is where we get into difficulties because it's below Mars. And Mars is quite low anyway. So I'd give it another 30 minutes, so about 6.30. Now, the sky will be getting lighter, so you'll lose Vesta. You'll still have Venus, you'll still have Mars but now you'll have the crescent moon below it. But this is one of the circumstances with the moon's orbit sort of thing. It goes through this phase where it's actually below the ecliptic and by quite a large amount. So, you know, it, it takes a lot to rise. And often when it rises, by then the sun's rising. So don't look a lot later than that because you'll be getting the brighter skies and you'll lose it. And obviously we don't want you to be catching an accidental glimpse of the sun. Although, to be fair, as it, it's a long way off to the left sun side, so you won't really see it. But, you know, it's it's an ethereal thing when you see this, this slim crescent moon below Mars in the early morning twilight sort of thing, you know, as it begins to emerge out of the, the low haze as such. So there we are. So that's worth having a look at sort of thing on the 27th. And that's the morning of the 27th. And we got one final encounter. And funny enough, we're back to Taurus, the Pleiades, and the Hyades, and Aldebaran. Because the dwarf planet Ceres lies between them. So again, this is a great example of catching an object. And it's even better because it's quite close to a star called 37 Tauri. You know, so Ceres of a magnitude 8.7, which is a lot fainter than 37 Tauri. But you'll be able to spot it in large binoculars. So there's a whole range of solar system objects to be able to pick off this month. And we've, we've covered planets. We've got the moon, as usual, sort of thing. We've had a comet. And we've got some minor worlds as well. And of course, Ceres is now a dwarf planet. So we've got one of those to tick off as well. So uh, again, you can be looking about seven o'clock in the evening. So it's not, it's not, you don't have to get up for this. <laughs> you can actually observe it at a quite convenient time. And I, I do like events like that, you know, at a convenient time. They're far easier to observe, aren't they? <laughs> Absolutely. It does sound like there's going to be a lot of um, early morning starts this month. <laughs> 
it's it's one of those things with the planet shifting and when Jupiter moves into the morning sky from next month there'll be even more but that's that's the way it runs we we've had a whole run right through the towards the end of sort of 2021 where there was a lot of activity in the evening sky and and if you have a lot of activity in the evening sky at some point the emphasis switches to the morning sky but uh, i think it's certainly worth getting up for uh, if you, but you do need a good clear horizon. And I, I, my problem here is I haven't got a very good morning horizon. So you know, by the time things clear and get high enough for me to spot them, it's too bright. So it's one of those things, sort of thing. So I, I miss out. So I hope our listeners actually get a chance to see some of these things and do get a chance to observe in the morning sky because I think it's worth trying for some of these objects. Certainly, brilliant Venus. I mean, that's gorgeous planet mm. anyway. Yeah. And so to recap, it sounds like at the beginning of the month, uh, we've got Mercury, Venus, and joined by Mars as well, that'll be up in the early morning sky. Uh, Then moving on later into the month, on around about the 6th, Comet 19P Borley is going to be joined by the near crescent moon um, and another star to form a triangle. So that'll be a good one to look out for. Um, Maybe you'll even be able to get an image of that one. If you do, make sure you let us know. Make us see. We'd love to see that. Then on the 9th, we've got the moon between the Hyades and the Pleiades in the constellation of Taurus. Then later on, on the 12th and the 13th of February, you've got the moon moving through the constellation of Gemini, passing by Castor and Pollux. So keep an eye out for it on those two nights as well. Then on the 20th to the 21st, a double star Porima or Gamma Virginis uh, is going to be well placed. So why not have a look at that and see if you can resolve the two stars? Then on the 24th, we've got Rho of Yukai, which will be occulted by the moon. So keep an eye out for that one. Then on the 26th, you'll have the planets Mars and Venus flanking the asteroid Vesta. And finally, if you want to see one more last uh, small object within the solar system, keep an eye out on the evening of the 27th when Ceres will be passing past the Hyades and the Pleiades in Taurus. So thank you very much for joining us today, Paul. It's been absolutely fascinating to hear. It's a pleasure. If you want to find out even more spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky this month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking out for in February 2022. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes or neither, our sky guide has got you covered with detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Brittany Colley. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify.